0: There was 27 teams in the city that had, Whoa. you know, it was all Catholic schools. We had a 27-team league in the Cleveland area. So, you know, and these are guys like, well, guys you would know, uh, Joe McFarlane, who mm-hmm. was one of my teammates. We were on the same grade school team together. Greg Galinsky was in the national finals, and, and I was in, we had three national finals in one, one year.
1: We can endure anything.
0: I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, that's good wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness.
1: Fan of the week goes to our friend Alston Y., who recently left an Apple podcast review. Five-star review, another great episode, started taking my youngest son to level up a few months ago. And this review, of course, is in relation to the Donovan Pannon episode, as he's the head coach at Level Up. Alston, thanks for the review. We greatly appreciate it. Without further ado, folks, let's give it up for Coach Jim Heffernan. This episode is presented by Beat the Street Chicago. They're hosting an NCAA viewing party Saturday, March 18th at Fat Poor Wicker Park in the city, Chicago IL. Tickets are $25. All proceeds go to support Beat the Street Chicago. Last year, they had over 250 people attend. This year, the goal is 300. So I encourage everyone listening, if they're in the city, go to the Beat the Street Chicago NCAA viewing party. You can purchase tickets via the link in our show notes. If you can't make it and still want to support the cause, you can donate to Beat the Street Chicago, btschicago.org. This episode is also sponsored by Quant Wrestling, quant takes the moneyball approach to college wrestling they track and timestamp hundreds of activities in a college wrestling match input that data into their cloud analytics platform and on their app which you can download in the apple and google play stores you can see detailed statistics on college wrestlers you can compare different wrestlers so go to quant wrestling on the apple and google play stores quant wrestling download the app now Jim Heffern, and welcome to the podcast.
0: All right, How are you?
1: doing well. It's an exciting time right now. I know you mentioned you were at the Big Tens last week. I was there. Brackets came out last night. What were your thoughts on the big Tens?
0: Uh, you know it's it's super competitive as always. Great wrestling. I enjoyed it. Um, you know you you just can't believe sometimes the guys who are losing. You know, in in certain matches, it's it's amazing actually. So it's it's more competitive every year. Um, but it, it's deep. The wrestling's great. It's competitive. Great environment. Um, you know, every single match, you get your heart rate up. There's no there's no way around it.
1: Hmm. Yeah. No. It's a it was a crazy tournament, and you look at the brackets mm. this year that came out. There's some 24 seeds, 25 seeds who are legit. I mean, it's it's deep this year. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it gets deeper by the year, it seems like, and, and, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, you always scratch your head at some of the seeds where you have national champs number nine, and, you know, these guys are low, and it, it just, it's, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess it all, it all works out by, uh, by next Sunday.
1: Now, when, uh, going back to your coaching career, like, when you had, uh, like, 95 was the year I always think about for, for you and Coach Johnson. What a great year for Illinois wrestling. So, like Marinetti and McIravey, were they one and two? Like, how did that all work out? Um,
0: yeah, McIravey was number one for sure. He beat Steve in the uh, um, Big 10s. So, yeah, Marinetti was either two or three. Um, I, I can't remember. The good thing was for us is that he was opposite of McElravey, which was a big deal. Um, you know, obviously getting a chance to get to the finals. And what's interesting is, I think it was the quarterfinals, he was wrestling this guy from Cal Poly. In, in, fell down like 5-2 and just kind of looked lethargic and a little off and, and uh, just didn't have it for, for whatever reason, just didn't have it in that match. And, and slowly made his way back into the match and ended up scoring and I think beating the guy in overtime um, made he look much better in the semis. But I think probably the atmosphere, the the impending match coming up, or he was probably thinking about that match too much, to be honest with you. But he uh, mm-hmm. he was a tough guy, man. He He found a way.
1: Was the Big Ten match with Lincoln close? It was real close, yeah. It was, I think it was uh, four, three,
0: five, four, six, four type of match where I, you know, I, Marinetti almost had a takedown either to tie it or go ahead in the third, and I can't remember off the top of my head which one it was, but it was a competitive match from the first second to to the end. And like I said, he he almost had a takedown at the end to either go ahead or tie it too.
1: That is uh just that that match Marinetti McIlwain at Carver is one of the you know the all-time epic matches in NCAA finals history that I, that I you know I wasn't there but I was probably six but I've watched it and talked about right. it I feel like I was there well
0: you know it was it was really um yeah it, it was a phenomenal match man those guys were full speed the whole time the crowd was into it what was really eerie about the whole thing is after that match of course Ernest Binion goes out and is wrestling and and it's you could just hear the murmur in the in the stands. There was nobody really paying attention to that next match. They were all talking about what just happened, and they couldn't believe it. in, in poor Ernest just, you know, trying to win a national championship. And I think by the by the third period, everyone started falling a little bit closer. And of course, Ernest came um, came out after Stephen um, became a national champion as a sophomore, no less.
1: And so, what that year, who did he wrestle in the finals?
0: Uh, Dan Warnsberger. From Michigan State.
1: Okay, because I'm wondering where like where Joe was at. Joe Williams or uh, or like I'm trying to think of who some um, of the the Hawkeyes might have had in there. Um, who would
0: they have?
1: Might have been Weber that year.
0: Yeah, maybe. I I don't think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Williams may have been redshirt actually that year because Ernest, um, they wrestled uh, in the Big Ten finals. Ernest senior year. And Ernest actually no junior year. And Ernest beat him. And then Williams beat Ernest in the national finals, like mm-hmm. eight, seven, nine, eight, incredible match, actually. Wow. Amazing match.
1: And was Benyon seated high the year he won it? Like, was it, he expected uh, to win it?
0: No, I think he was somewhere between six and nine, but he he really wasn't expected to win it. Um, but it, it was, it was one of those things, um, you know, and I, I remember telling Mark, you know, that's back in the days when I used to work out with those guys and, was wrestling earnest, and in fact, I told my brother, John, I and everybody kind of thought I was crazy. I'm like, you know, people better watch out for this guy. And I, I told my brother, John, if somebody's going to do, kind of go through the bracket that nobody expected, it. it's going to be this guy. You know, I just felt that strongly about it and and working out with him and feeling how good he, he, he was doing and his confidence was sky high. And, you know, and the thing, the crazy thing about Ernest, he'd have good years, not great years, good years. Then he'd get to the postseason, qualify in the Big Ten. He'd walk into the national tournament and he would, you know, he'd go out and, you know, we'd always get there on a Tuesday, he'd warm up, work out, feel good, sit down and, and he, the thing he always told me, you know, we'd be sitting on the floor in a big gym and, and um, he said, I, I love this tournament. I I just love being here. I love this tournament. I love competing here and every, you know, his his freshman year, he didn't even qualify, which was remarkable in itself, but Um, you know, sophomore year, he won his first, second, third after that. And and every year we got to the tournament, he said the same thing. He goes, I I love this tournament. I love wrestling. And I love competing. it. I can't wait,
2: man. So he just got up for it. it.
0: Yeah. It was just the guy liked the big show, you know, and I think the season was just, uh, just get me to the end. (laughs) And um, yeah, impressive guy.
1: It's funny you say that about working out with him though, because, it reminded me when you said that it triggered a story in my head where Pat Smith was working out with Mark branch after the big twelves before the 94 NCAAs and, you know, branch had a losing record, but it's weird yeah. how in this 10 day period after conference guys can make jumps and like mentally take themselves to a new place. And you really see it happen at the NCAAs.
0: You do. You see it, you see it frequently. I don't want to say a lot, but you do see it. And, and, um, you know, what your mind's a funny thing. You know, if you, you can, you can make yourself do a lot of things, you know, but, but, you know, there's all these kind of cliches and belief and um, whatever you want to use, you know, some guys actually figure out a way to do it, you know, getting the zones, another one of those things, they figure out how to get themselves there. And, um, you know, they're they're kind of unstoppable at that point.
1: Yeah. And, Man, you just, I think back to that year, at, so 95 Illinois, just to give people some background, you were a coach at, at Iowa, um, or rested at Iowa, coach at Lehigh, and then Mark Johnson, who was the coach at, assistant coach at Iowa when you were there, he ends up at Oregon State. How did you guys kind of end out there together?
0: Well, Mark's first year at Iowa was my freshman year. Obviously went through school, um, graduated, I did a grad assist, graduate assistantship year at Iowa, and I went to lehigh and i was at lehigh for two seasons mark had got the job at oregon state and it was pretty late in the year actually it was like um october so um you know we had started talking i told him i'd be interested in working with him we always had a pretty good relationship as an athlete and coach or we, we did have a good relationship as an athlete and coach and and i kind of when we talked about it i kind of jumped at the chance to do it so Obviously, Oregon State is a long way from Lehigh. Um, crazy, weird timing in terms of time of the year it happened. But it was one of those things I I, I thought we, we uh, you know, we're kind of opposite. Mark's kind of the big, strong, physical, pick you up, throw you down type of guy. And I kind of taught the wrestling part of it, you know, mm-hmm. skill stuff. So I think we really meshed pretty well in terms of what we brought to the table as a as a pair.
1: And as much as I love that you guys came to Illinois, part of me wishes the Oregon State would have played out a little bit longer because you guys put together a crazy recruiting class.
0: We did, you know, and, and what's nuts about that is, um, you know, we had, we got a couple transfers, which was really lucky. So we had Babak Mohammadi, who was recruited by the previous coach. Then the Naratka twins transferred. We signed Chad Renner. We signed Les Cutches. We had Trent Flack on the team. We have Je- Jeff Munson on the team. We had a guy named Matt Wilhide on the team who was he was also very good. Um, you know, I'm probably also forgetting a couple. Um, Dan Aylar was an All-American a couple years later. So, you know, the first year I think we were, I you don't know, maybe sixth in the in the Pac-12, and you know, maybe 500 dual meets, and and just kind of I don't want to say fighting these guys, but it was a whole new thing for them, you know. And I don't. I don't pretend to know what they were doing before we got there, but we we changed a lot of things, right? How they worked out, how we trained, what we did in the mornings. What, you know, we we tra- we we um, changed a lot of things, you know, and and some of them were receptive. Some of them, you know, maybe fought us a little bit, but um, by the second year, there was a lot of buy-in. I mean, a lot of buy-in, and and uh, we won the Pac-12 that year, and then you know those guys actually just kept improving as a group you know kept improving i think they were second fourth in the national tournament with the group guys we recruited
1: i was gonna say the next year they got second and it's like oregon you know how hard i mean you as well as anyone else how hard it is to get in that top four so a, a yeah. team like oregon state to get in that top four it's like unbelievable and, and like you said a lot yeah. of that was the guys you built um yeah it had to be hardly even a guy like Les gutches that's like well, yeah. that's once a generation
0: yeah, yeah.
1: He's pretty
0: good. <laughs> now Les was uh unbelievable actually. I, that kid, um, the skills he had, the mindset he had, you know, great work ethic. He he was he was a special kind of guy for sure. And um, you know, it's one of those deals that was really, really hard leaving. Um and it was harder watching what transpired at Oregon State when we were in Illinois trying to do the same thing again. That was hard, you know. Mm-hmm. Those first couple years were tough and and I think coming in and I don't know if the stat was Illinois had not won a Big Ten dual meet in three or four years before we got there on the 92-93 season. I'll never forget the first Big Ten match week or the first match we won was against Michigan State. And the guys on the team were, like, excited and fired up and kind of explained to us, this is a big deal. You know, we just won a Big Ten match. And Mark and I kind of looked at each other like – what are we doing (laughs) we got got a long way to go (laughs) so
1: so what was in a worse state oregon state when you got there or illinois when you got there illinois uh
0: and you know and this is a terrible thing to say but i remember and i tell the story jokingly all the time our our first run we were going to go work out in the fall of 92 when we got to illinois um we were just going to have these guys run Kind of do a time thing, see where they're at. If anyone's in shape, who can make it? Who could make it? So, we met the team outside, and you know, it was a warm fall day. Some of these guys had their T-shirts off, and you just kind of looked at it like, "This, where's the wrestling team? Like, what, <laughs> like who is this, and what are they doing here? And where's the wrestling team?" Type of deal, you know. And then there was a couple of guys like Steve Marinetti had had some shin splint issues and couldn't run so he had to go bike and and we we're just you know he's supposed to be the best guy and he can't even run and w- what's happening here type of deal you know and and um but yeah I just kind of thought to myself man I wanted it's too late to go back to Corvallis this right is gonna, this is going to be a tough one you know
1: <laughs> well especially then because you know you're at Illinois great state to recruit from but you're also super close to Iowa you're super close to all these other power programs and it's yeah. like what was the uh, the building process there? How long did it take to get get some um, things moving?
0: Well, you know, it, it's um, right away. You know, Mark Mark had known he was coming to Illinois shortly after the Illinois State Tournament the previous February, um, and he didn't tell me till after the Nationals that year that he was going to interview for the job. and And um, in the interview, I think maybe took maybe an hour, I think they talked to him. They kind of, I think they were pretty set on Mark going there. Um, so he had a little bit of a foundation, I think, in who to talk to, who was good, what guys we really needed. Um, you know, we missed out on a couple guys early on. And, 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 um, but I think we, we actually had a pretty good group of guys coming in and, you know, we had guys like Steve Marinetti who we didn't know he was going to be good. He was, I think he was 14 and 16 um, as a freshman, then redshirted. Um, and then as a sophomore, he ended up getting fourth in the country and did great. Wow. And we didn't know anything about Steve really other than everybody told us they think he could be pretty good you know and Charles Gary they thought he could be pretty good and Brian Stewart could be pretty good. Um, so we did have a few guys that, that that were you know buying in and helping and um, but you know we had we had obviously a good recruiting class, uh, a couple of them in a row that really helped and and you know by the third year we had two guys in the national finals which, I mean that just doesn't happen. So um, pretty, pretty remarkable, actually, and, and a little bit of luck too. You know, we fell into having Steve and Steve buying in and and being as competitive and um, you know dedicated to the sport as he was. That was a pretty big deal, as an example of nothing else. You know, super smart guy, really good leader. Um, graduated as a top student athlete in Illinois, so he was a good student. Um, you know, and some of those guys actually just kind of followed his path a little bit and. Ernest, Ernest used to tell that story all the time at the national tournament, you know, he kind of watched things go on in his bracket. And back when Seton Hall had a program, uh, I think the second seat from Seton Hall got upset early. And, uh, you know, I walked up to Ernest and he goes, you don't have to say anything. I already know I saw it. And I said, well, this is what I think you should do. And he kind of looked at me and shook my head. He goes, I'm not doing anything unless Steve does it. I'm just going to do exactly what he does, the whole (laughs) room together. I'm going to eat the same thing, warm up. I'm going to do everything the same as Steve the rest of the weekend. So (laughs) it it was pretty funny, actually. And it ended up working.
1: And at that time, state of Illinois, the 90s were were roaring in Illinois. You had Reggie Wright, Tony Davis, the Williams brothers. John Kading. I mean, yeah. you guys got a lot of them, but I know uh, a lot of the guys had to go the junior college route and Juco was really hot back then.
0: Yeah, it was, um, you know, even a guy like um, Tony Davis, for example, and Reggie Wright, you know, we, we kind of stumbled on Adam Terpelli, and And uh, even though he went to Stanford for a year, I think he, he kind of realized, um, you know, he wished he would have made the decision on Illinois. So we got Adam, which was unbelievable pickup actually you know but it kind of negates the next guys that you know the guys possibly being Reggie Wright and, and, and uh, Tony Davis possibly getting those guys when you have a guy who's going to be a superstar you're thinking your light up you know so Andy had two brothers which didn't hurt either you know Andy's straight
1: get, A student like he's not you don't have yeah, to worry about Adams, him getting in it's like he's the perfect Adams, package. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, incredibly intelligent, you know, and I always say this about all the terrapellis is they were almost like having another coach in the room. You know, they would take care of themselves, do their job. But when their job was done, they would go to somebody else and say, these are the things you need to do. This is, hey, come here. We're going to do extra work after practice. You know, great leaders, but again, almost like having another coach in the room. Um, So it got to the point where, you know, we knew Adam was going to be really good obviously with the way he trained, the way he lived, um, unbelievably smart guy. It was just tough not to know that the other two brothers are going to be superstars too, you know. Mm-hmm. so. But, you know, there, there's those, those type of situations too, and you know, knowing what I know now, I think I would do the same thing again. I would take yeah. Adam, I think. I mean, nothing against Reggie Wright and Tony Davis. They're outstanding in their own right, but knowing everything I know about Adam, I would 100% be all in and taking Adam any day
1: it's funny because i did a a documentary on tony davis last year and Mm -hmm. adam was in it you know and he was uh he was laughing he's like man i got to illinois and all i heard about was reggie wright and tony davis and and they're you know wrestling elsewhere and and sure enough he's battling those guys year in and year out i mean those were some loaded weight classes
0: and and uh tj williams
1: tj yeah
0: he worked i remember he wrestled tj at a a duel in champagne and it was one of those crazy 10, nine, nine, eight matches. And, um, you know, Williams ended up getting them, but it was, it was a great duel. Meet That it, matches it on great YouTube.
1: Match.
0: Great so match in a duel me. Yeah. That
1: is that the year. I don't think that's the first time you guys beat Iowa. Is it? No, no, that was a different time. Um,
0: that was a different one. Yeah.
1: But it looked like you guys really packed tough haul in for that one. Cause him and uh, a yeah. TJ went right to right to the wire.
0: Yeah, it was a really good match. And, you know, I would travels here pretty well too. And they, anywhere they go, they attract people, but you know, we had some pretty good momentum at that time too. So, um, you know, we were drawing fans and people were excited and, and, you know, Huff being the way Huff is, it was a really cool environment, really cool environment.
1: Yeah. And the, uh, you know, the other thing I think about too is when I think about some of the earlier guys, so to speak, you know, the, the Jimmy Kennedys and the Futrells, that was my era, but one right before that, that um I try to keep his memory going Matt Lackey. I mean, you talk about an no. athlete gamer. Like what do you remember about Lackey?
0: Um just what you said. <laughs> unbelievable. You know, if if uh yeah, that that guy would compete, he would fight, he would scratch, he would claw, he would do anything to win, competitive as heck, but an unbelievable athlete. I mean, some of the things he did. You know, it's just stuff you can't teach. You know, he just had a great feel, um, really tough-minded. You know, the guy, this isn't a negative thing, but there's always those guys, you walk into a tournament, you see a guy walk in, and you know he's good, right? You just know, and you might not even know who it is, but you know that guy's good because of the air about him, the confidence, the um, whatever you want to call it. But Matt Lackey would walk into a room and it's like, that that guy's really good. You know, he'd walk it away, and then you knew he was good. He'd walk into a gym, and it probably rubbed some people the wrong way, but he wasn't obnoxious. He just was confident, you know, and, and you know, for that reason, we were really confident in him. And and I don't know if Matt gets enough credit. Um,
1: That's how I feel. For, I feel the same way. as
0: good as he was. You know, it, it's crazy. He just couldn't, his freshman year, he just couldn't beat Bill Zeman off of the team. He just couldn't beat him. You know, but I think I think um, I, I don't know if it was just he wasn't didn't feel like he was ready or whatever it was. And Bill was really good at himself. But the next year, you know, he gets third, he loses to Pritzloff in the semis, but gets third and he loses to Heskett in the finals. You know, and then, the next, you know, it, it, great matches and, and him and Heskett were always one or two point matches and always great matches. He just couldn't figure out how to get to beat Heskett at the end. Um, you know, and then his senior year, he's a national champ. Beats Troy Letters, who's who's a superstar in his own right. Um, but you know, that's a that's a heck of a career. You know, yeah. and it, the crazy thing is, is is you know, Lackey's from Moline. He's not from kind of the Chicagoland area. Nobody really saw him, and they're all kind of questioning. Ah, what do you want a guy from the Quad? what? Did, what's he ever done? You know, he doesn't wrestle anybody, and it's like, man, either I, I don't know what a good wrestler looks like or obviously <laughs> this kid's good you know and Mark said the same thing and, and you know there was other guys that people um they, they questioned us a little bit which I I still kind of smile at this it's like man just watch the guy work out you know and the thing Matt too his practice habits and not that he didn't work hard. His practice habits changed as you got closer to the national tournament. You know, I've heard like, this. <laughs> um, it, it was it was the strangest thing, and, and everybody's kind of got their own story. But, but January, it's like the noises, um, how hard he's taking guys down starts changing. Then February, it's a little more. Then March, it was like full speed ahead. He's ready to go. Um, bless you, but he knows. Thank uh, you. He knows kind of what's important, when to turn it on, how to turn it on, and how to be at his best. I mean, he just had that knack, um, but unbelievable feel. And I agree. I I think he's kind of overlooked as is one of our all time, you know, credential wise, he's very good. But he he is up there with, with that that group of guys from Illinois that that were the best guys.
1: We talk about Pritzloff, world bronze medalist, Heskett, yeah. world team member and then he was stuck by in Joe for like five years. Like these are, right. these aren't just national champs. These are world right. level guys. Right. You know, it's like crazy. The other yeah. guy who, uh, you know, I'm from the quiet city. So what you said mm-hmm. there, that hits, that hits home. And it's, I, I know that perception's out there. What about uh Siebert? Did he get that same kind of flax since he was from like LPs kind of on the outskirts yeah. as well? Oh, for
0: sure. Yeah. Every, yeah. T- same type of deal, you know, but, but again, if you watch Eric Russell just incredible skills, incredible athleticism, he was fast, he was explosive. He was strong, the nicest guy you could meet, um, and competitive, crazy competitive. That guy would, you know, he, yeah, he would compete at any, anything. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he was a little bit off the fray too, you know, kind of out in the middle of the state, um, smaller school, um, you know, interestingly enough, Ernest Binion beat Eric Oof, Siebert in the state what final. What a match. Eric was a junior. Yep. Eric was a junior. Ernest was a senior. Um, and those two guys used to argue. So at the end of the match, there's only a few seconds left. <laughs> Eric shot a low single um, and took Ernest down. Ref stopped it and said, you jumped the gun and started over. And Ernest won the match. Eric claimed he didn't jump the gun. Binion claimed he did those two guys would argue about it at the practice more <laughs> more than you more than you can believe you know and man and, you know, it was pretty funny actually but but ended up being you know great training partner, good friends um, yeah but eric superstar um, you know crazy story about him before school even started um, we had a team meeting on friday uh, started drizzling rain a little bit um, eric was going to go out and go golfing it ended up raining a little bit, so they were screwing around, playing football behind one of the dorms, caught a pass. Guy went to tag him, pushed him, his body turned, ACL tore. Had, didn't even get on the mat one day before class or practice. I mean, didn't get to practice all freshman year. Then he was out until, you know, back then the surgery was – took a long time. You know, in was fresh, freshman year, it took him a while to kind of um, – redshirt freshman year, it took him a while to kind of get in a swing of things and, and um, be healthy again, you know, and it even affected him a little bit of sophomore year, um, and then I think from, you know, his junior and senior year, he really started showing a little bit more what mm-hmm. we thought he would be, you know, but he he had a tough time rehabbing, and the injury really was a big setback to him.
1: I can imagine, and I had forgotten about that high school match until you said that, because that's, that's another one of those where IHSA did a lot of filming of the state finals in the nineties and there's quite a few matches out there on YouTube and like the Reggie Wright, Tony Davis one is one that comes to mind. And, and, um, you know, this is another big one, Ernest and, and, uh, Eric Sieber, because that both guys had incredible resumes and the match was super exciting.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Two incredible athletes, um, really competitive guys. Um, yeah, they both had great college careers too, on top of it, you know, as, as teammates, which, you know, Quirk and uh, Pat Quirk and Nate Patrick wrestled in state finals as well, ended up being great teammates, both having good careers too. So sometimes you can get lucky and guys can separate weights a little bit. And, you know, the crazy thing is, Ernest did not like to cut weight, did not like to cut weight. <laughs> and I think probably his senior year, he maybe was wrestling 158, and maybe weighed 165 when he got to school, maybe. You know, he just wow. that's what he weighed. And he you know, by the end of the year he would be eating what he anything he wanted and leaving practice on weight every day, you know. And Eric was a little bit that way too a senior year, um, when the weight
1: switched. It makes it so much easier, right? If you're uh
0: Yeah, yeah. He just um yeah, Ernest just kind of just try and really don't like cutting weight. I'm gonna I'm gonna one fifty eight.
1: Right. Now when you go back to to your heyday. 1982 August you get to Iowa were yeah. you guys pulling some weight back then?
0: Oh, uh, I wasn't.
1: No. <laughs> no.
0: Um no, my freshman year um yeah, I well, here's a good example. My you know, the the older guys are really good about trying to teach you how to cut weight, you know. So for the first doll, you know, it's like here's your sweats, here's a set of plastics, you know, kind of this is how we're going to do it. You know, they would kind of show you a little bit. But, you know, by the end of the year, I think in, – the in, story I always tell, too, was that my freshman year, the Bannocks were on the team. So I, I lost in the semi – I wrestled as a freshman, um, didn't redshirt. So get to the semifinals, I lost to Nate Carr in the semis. Afterwards, I go back, take my single off, take my shoes off, get on the scale, and I was a half a pound over. And back then, you weighed out. So, so that was Friday uh, Friday night. Um, so you weigh out for the next day that night. So really, you know, to half a pound. And back in those days, they would bring portable saunas into the arena. So <laughs> there was a sauna there, and I knew it. And you couldn't weigh in until after the last match. So put my sweats on, went out and watched, um, um, you know, Jimmy Zaleski, Goldman, Eddie, and Lou Bannock. Wrestle, and in their semi matches, and I came back, and and uh, Eddie Bannock had just got done wrestling, soaking wet, went in the sauna, and he had—I'll never forget this—he had a Gatorade, those old glass bottles of Gatorade, puts the sweats on, um, puts the plastics on, puts the sweats on over, puts a hat on, and he goes, uh, "I'm sitting in the sauna in a pair of shorts," you know, and he says, "How much are you over?" I said, uh, "Half a pound." He just kind of giggled. So, Eddie puts all stuff on. He's just pouring sweat, opens up his bottle of Gatorade and drinks it, puts the top back on, sets it down. And I said, what are you weigh? He goes, I was eight pounds pound old for my match. But by the time he warmed up, wrestled, got his sweat going, got in the sauna, drank a Gatorade. It probably took him maybe a half hour to get down to weight. And all these other guys from all these schools, after Eddie went out and saw him and jump on a bike or run or whatever he was going to do, looked at me and they said, was he serious? And I'm like, Yeah, he was serious. You know, they kind of (laughs) thought he was absolutely nuts.
1: Wow! (laughs) So So you guys would weigh in that night, or have to hold it until the next morning?
0: No, we would weigh in that night and leave.
1: So how, man? But a lot. So you were only half over. But I got to imagine back then, there's a lot of guys like ten over, right, at the end of wrestling, and probably they'd have to cut down that night.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You wait out. So after the match, you know, it was one of those deals. After the match, you put your stuff on and you went to work and got down to weight so right. um yeah for me that year it was it, weight was no issue then i redshirted my next year got a little bit bigger um cutting a little bit of weight my sophomore year the problem was i wasn't doing it very smart um junior year cut some weight my senior year was tough mm. um but you know it was one of those things too um you know we had a pretty good team um you know we, we had a really good team my um my brother was slotted to go at 158. Alger was at 158 the year before, moved up to 167. My brother was going to go 158. Um, even though I wanted to move up, Gable kind of talked me into going back down and and staying at 150 for the team, which, you know, I get.
1: Yeah, as your senior year? Yeah. Senior 87.
0: Yeah, and it got, yeah. My, uh, got my brother in the lineup too, you know, which was a big year for him. I think he was, uh, what do he get, sixth that year or fourth? No, he got
1: fourth that year. Wow! Yeah. And you were—I uh, mean, you said it—you were on some legendary teams. And if we go back to St. Ed's, you know, the legendary yeah. St. Ed's, you're on four state championship teams there, right? Right. And you win. You went to yourself. Tell us about the great Howard Ferguson, and like, just what? What do you? Th- I mean, not tell us about him. Like, what was it about the guy that was allowed him to be so successful?
0: Um. The guy was really self-motivated, loved wrestling, loved winning. He was competitive. You know, it was one of the, the way I explain it is that really, really organized, a great planner. And the thing that I, the one similarity I say is most prominent between him and Gable is that those guys could have a plan and they were going to stick to the plan no matter really what, that, that they knew this was going to work, right? So they were going to stick to the plan. This is the way it's going to be, um, you know, and regardless of what was going on, injuries, illness, this is what we're going to get done today. If it takes us two hours, it takes us two hours. If it takes us six, it takes us six, but we're going to get this done the way. That's how mm-hmm. Howard Ferguson was. But a nice guy could put his arm around you, could kick you in the rear end if you needed it. Um, very disciplined, very motivated. Um, loved Loved the guys on the team. I mean, it was – Loved guys on the team, um, you know, and, and we all had an enormous respect for him, um, believed in what he was doing, believed in the plan. So that, you know, it was, he did a lot of the organized, didn't teach a lot, very much wrestling at all. So we had another guy named Tim Welch, who the way I explain it is Howard Ferguson built the program, ran the program, organized the program, and Tim taught us how to wrestle is kind of the way I figured. You know, we did a lot of the techniques. So there mm-hmm. was Tim Welch, um, Don Murphy, Brian Millick, Gary Seracey, Dave Holian, that kind of worked more with guys hands-on um, during the time I was there and, and really, you know, um, developed us more than anything. But, but Ferguson kind of had a plan and we did the same thing for practice every single day for four years. Every single day we did the same thing. The only time we would change is the day before a meet, we would cut it in half. So we would do the same drill, the same technique. Everything was exactly the same, the same amount of running. Mm. Um, The day before a match, we would cut it in half. So, um, um, you know, I could still do that practice in my sleep. But but everybody bought into it, you know, and, and the way the system we had built in place, it made average guys really good. You know, it made them good, and they got better quickly. Um, but you weren't allowed to kind of go outside that box very much. You know, even as as some of the other guys were trying to to develop us and give us some options to do to get us ready for college, that was that was kind of a um, frowned on, to say the least.
1: Because that's where it seems like he differs from Gable. Because Gable, well, that like Lou Banik never come to. He did his own practices, <laughs> right? And uh, like some guys would have like their own kind of workout sessions. I mean, is that true?
0: Yeah. 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 He, he, um, Gable was pretty flexible, you know, but he was still getting done what he wanted to get done. Right. just, he was allowing some people, and you got to remember being 14 to 17 or 14 to 18 is a heck of a lot, heck of a lot different than being 18 to 23. Right. You know, (laughs) development, strength, experience you know there there's quite a bit of difference but i didn't know anything about Lou Bannock in terms of how gabled hand handled them until um probably halfway through the fall of my freshman year we were downstairs um, uh, we worked out on the old the old field house floor so they had two or three mats laid out and that's where we would work out just to kind of you know break the monotony and be in the wrestling room all the time so um and i remember Halfway through a workout one time, I was kinda of sitting down resting and I saw Lou Bannock running around in high top sneakers, t shirt and shorts. And I'm like, What the heck's going on? You know, and I asked one of the older guys, I said, uh, how come he's not wrestling? And they said, No, he he does this he does this a lot. Okay. Didn't like okay. <laughs> didn't really, like, okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna say anything to Lou Bannock, I know that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now he um was it Lou or Ed who didn't wrestle one of his years? And then came back to the team. Oh, uh, might have been Lou.
0: Yeah, Eddie was a four-time finalist. So yeah, so it, wasn't it had gonna, to be yeah. Lou. Yeah, I, I don't know if I ever heard that story, but
1: um, like he Lou- moved to Texas or something, like halfway through the season. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, that was probably Lou. But uh, but going back to Coach Ferguson, I'm looking here at this uh, book. Joe Silvestro sent me his book, The yeah, Edge, yeah. The and edge, yeah, I'm looking at it. And I'm like for something made in the eighties, like this is super high, highly, um, super professional, but also like, this is not your average wrestling coach. Who's writing a book like this. I mean, he's into sports psych. I mean, that's he's well ahead yeah. of his time to be doing that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, he is, you know, and, and I don't know if anybody could do something like that book today, you know, just with the way the world's changed a little bit and kind of what's in it for me attitude, those type of things, you know, I, I think most people were willing and able and giving, of their time and quotes and everything else. And I know, um, coach Ferguson had a lot of people working on those things, but it was ahead of its time. Um, you know, he kind of scripted our whole practice practice plan with, with basically the same type of formula as the edge, you know, mm. and he would have. So if you, if you look at the book, every chapter has an introduction, um, you know, being mentally tough, uh, being competitive, um, you know, all the chapters in the book and they'd have a little write-up. So the write-up would be, um, you know, being mentally tough. And then he'd go through some drills and different things and his philosophies on, you know, how he kind of approached it and expected us to, you pro- know, like it was like a business. The guy was a professional,
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know, and we were we were way ahead of our time, I think, in terms of running our program that way, you know, and and, and there's whatever you believe about private schools or Catholic schools, whatever you believe about them, you know, it's up to you. But the way we ran our program, it was, you know, most of the guys who went on to college, our program was run at a higher level than most colleges back then. And I, I say that truthfully. Really? And, and, you know, when I went from St. Ed's and I, to Iowa, which was the program to be at. And I'd kind of look around and look at the facilities um, you know, kind of the way they were doing things, and and I, you could ask anybody during that that era that maybe didn't go to Iowa. Greg Olinski went to Penn State. I think, you know, we had two guys, uh, at least two two guys that year, go to Cornell. Um, so you know, they, Sylvester went to uh, William and Mary and ended up in North Carolina. But I think, you know, a lot of those guys would would tell you at how how professionalized our program was, and. And the expectations were so high. You know, it was like, um, you know, Ferguson would talk about the rest of your rest of your life. What's important? Um, what are you going to go to college? The reason why you're doing re- this work in wrestling is to prepare yourself for college. Prepare yourself to get a degree. Prepare yourself for a career. He was all about kind of the next level, too. And don't get me wrong. He wanted to win. And he wanted our teams to be successful when we were. But it, for him... I think the most important thing was getting on to the next level and then getting on in preparation for your life. And that, that is kind of how that program was based. And it still is, you know, knowing coach Irvis, the way I know him, know my brother, you know, it's a stepping stone. Um, it is a pathway for the rest of your life. It's about the next 50 years, it's about the next 60 years, whatever it is of your life. You know, and I think that's how he approached it. Um, but, you know, it was like we had, Uniforms in practice. Um, he got tired of guys wearing, you know, Budweiser T-shirts or whatever the crap it was in practice, and he got pissed <laughs> off. And one day, these boxes showed up: white socks with no stripes, black shorts, green shorts, yellow shirts, black shirts, and green shirts. Nothing on them, plain, basic. And if he didn't wear them, he got kicked out of practice. This is how we're going to do it. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to look like a bunch of, um, you know, kids in PE class. We're, we're, we are going to do this, you know, like uh, the, the Green Bay Packers was one of his things. He named our team the Big Green Machine, um, <laughs> you know. So, it, like, you know, all from from the Packers and the Cincinnati Reds, who were kind of the dominant teams back then, um, he kind of modeled our program after that, but a, a very, uh, very disciplined, very professional, um, you know, and there was times where he got criticized for a lot of stuff, you know, um, you know, the best team money can buy those type of things. But it was, it was, it was a shame because he was a very successful businessman. And I think those kind of, uh, scenarios and rumors and stuff got out that he was basically, you know, buying, buying his way to a championship type of thing. And it was a bunch of crap.
1: Right. Because didn't he, wasn't there a big feeder program that went into St. Ed's? Yeah, back then, you know, there
0: was a, a CYO league. So my grade school, we had a CYO team, fifth through eighth grade. There was 27 teams in the city that had, Whoa. you know, it was all Catholic schools. We had a 27-team league in the Cleveland area. So, you know, and these are guys like, well, guys you would know, uh, Joe McFarlane who mm-hmm. was one of my teammates. We were on the same grade school team together. Greg Galinsky was in the national finals in, in I was in, we had three national finalists in one, one year from, from a little, little grade school, uh, league. Wow. Um, and we had a lot of other All-Americans, you know, my brother, John, Terry Kennedy, um, she's tons of, you know, tons mm-hmm. of guys who are All-Americans in that league. And, the, and a lot of those guys from St. Ed, that was, you know, there's there two Catholic schools on the West side. There's St. Ed, St. Ignatius, um, you know, a lot of those guys from the CYO program did go to St. Ed's and then there was the West Shore YMCA program, which Howard Ferguson ran before he went to St. Ed's. So West Shore still is a very good program. Um, and a lot of those guys go to it's right. It's, you know, 10 minutes away, 15 minutes away from St. Ed's right down the road.
1: And um, when you when you were at St. Ed's, were you guys doing morning practices, too, or just night practices? We did some at the end of the year we ran.
0: So um um, well what, what was kind of what made us, I think, ahead of our time, more than, or one of the things that made us ahead of our time more than anything was that. So Coach Ferguson um, built a house in Westlake, which is a suburb on the west side. And in his basement, he put a wrestling room. And then he also had a racquetball court. And kind of a funny story is one day, guys would go over there in the summer, and um, the fall or even spring or whatever, non-season to work out. And he went down there one time. Saw so a bunch of guys playing racquetball, and they weren't wrestling. And he thought they were there to wrestle. So about a week later, the racquetball court had a um, layer of carpet, and about six Nautilus machines and free weights were in the racquetball court. So guys had a choice now; they could either lift or wrestle. No more racquetball, no more recreation. So, uh, but those those were things that you know, like his house, for example. Um, you know, everybody from the everybody from that area was over there working out. You know, and and what was really a good thing for me is in the summer I was over there all the time. Guys would come back from college, and 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 uh, I, you know, I would just sit there and wait and hope somebody was going to be there for me to work out with. Um, and and a lot of times there was. You know, that really helped me. And the one thing Coach Ferguson always said to us um, is, you know, if you want to be good at wrestling, you have to wrestle. You know, running's good, lifting's good, but to be good at wrestling, you have got to wrestle. So I wrestled all the time, um, just because I believed it.
1: You know, I love that philosophy too, because there's a there's a big camp in wrestling that is big on the cross training, and there's a lot to be said for that. But but there man, just the uh, just the wrestling strength and the wrestling conditioning you can only get from wrestling. How how about this though? Your senior year. And I found an article. This is the only way I know the date. January thirty-first, eighty-two, you get a call from Dan Gable and they say we no longer need your services. What yeah. happened? Um like when did you sign with him? Way earlier than that? Or no,
0: no, there was no early signing period then. So it was only it was only the the spring. That was it. It was the second the, the signing period started the second Wednesday in April. But you couldn't sign before that. So what happened is um, you know, you do you know the name Mike Deanna? Mm-hmm. So Mike Deanna wrestled for Coach Ferguson in the kids' club program. So when Mike would come back from college or in the summer, he would come to St. Ed's and work out. And I will work out with Mike a little bit. And Mike is the one who kind of got um me my foot in the door with Iowa. He he told you know, the junior nationals used to be in Iowa City. So Mike and Mr. Deanna talked to Gable and said, hey, keep an eye out on this guy from Ohio. Um, you know, so that's kind of the introduction. So, um, had a good tournament my junior year. Um, Gable kind of said something to me after, like, you know, would you be interested in coming to Iowa someday? And I said, yes. And, um, you know, talked a little bit, then talked to him a few times in the fall. Um, and the year before, so during my senior year in high school, the year before I got to Iowa, they had signed Kevin Dresser. Mm. So. At that time, Gable, I think, thought maybe I was going to be a 142-pounder and called me in January and said, you know, I, I, we think you're really good. Um, we know you're interested, but we think you're going to be a 142-pounder. We got this kid from Iowa who we think is really good, um, so I'm, I'm not sure we're going to be able to use you. And I, I was like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, kind of. <laughs> You know, it was disappointing, obviously, you know, and I was kind of bummed out, told my dad, told my high school coach. And then um, I would also sign a guy named Marty Kistler, who was wrestling 150 for him. So, and Marty was struggling a little bit his freshman year, but but, uh, they went down to Oklahoma and wrestled Oklahoma in a duel, and they ended up tying. And Marty uh, got pinned in the duel meet uh, by a guy named Roger Frizzell. So Gable called me that night from Norman, he started asking me all these goofy questions like, uh, how much do you weigh right now? Uh, how big are your feet? How big is your dad? Is your, are your brothers big? Do you think you'll grow? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think I'll grow. And he said, do you think you wrestle 150? I said, yeah, I think that wouldn't be any problem. He goes, well, then I guess we're going to recruit you again. So it was like a matter of day that it changed his mind because of what happened. And it turns out, you know, I came in, Marty redshirted. And I redshirted, and Marty Kissel wrestled was a national runner up. He moved up the next year, was a national champ. Then he moved up again, was a national champ again. So I think um
1: He did Dresser State probably, 42 the whole time or he
0: did the whole time. Yeah. So um, Wow. I think it's one of those things that that um he probably thought, you know, Marty may have been growing out the out of the weight a little bit. You know, that was part of the reason why he was struggling, maybe that he was going to be too big. And, you know, Marty was a big, strong, muscled-up guy anyway. I don't know how he made the weight. Um,
1: and Frizzell but, is a legend. Like, let's not yeah, forget yeah. that. It's like Roger yeah, Frizzell he, is one of the baddest dudes of that time.
0: Yeah, he was really good. Um, yeah, he, I, I think he was third three times behind uh, Car Monday.
1: That's what or I was going to say. Car. Like, yeah. I, I'm looking at your uh, – so, eight you're a true freshman. You take a fourth. Mm-hmm. Frizzell yeah. is at is third, and then mm-hmm. Carr beats Kenny in the finals. It's like,
0: right. Are you kidding yeah. me? I mean, that's crazy. And, yeah, and I think Monday beat Carr in the Big Eight that year.
1: Pendem, I think. But okay. Actually, I don't know if you, I'm thinking of, uh, I might be thinking of Carr and O'Toole from this last weekend. I got, I'm getting yeah, wires maybe. crossed. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. um.
0: well, you know what? When those, when you start seeing those names for the second time, you know, you're
1: getting old like me. Yeah, right? <laughs> I know. It's like, uh, yeah. It's crazy because crazy and uh and Monday Quincy Monday he's up mm-hmm. at sixty five this year so you could see yeah. that again too um, wouldn't that be something it really would and yeah. if Quincy stayed at one fifty seven that would be even a different story because that weights that weights you know pretty wide open um yeah, compared to sixty five right. the one thing I wanted to ask you about before we sign off here is you in nineteen eighty six win the NCAA tournament. At Carver, one of the – had to be one of just the most legendary tournaments you've been a part of. What memories do you have of, like, the hours before the finals that Saturday?
0: Um, Well, it it was really kind of a strange deal with with, uh, what happened with our team. We didn't qualify a heavyweight in our our, uh, 118-pounder back in the day. So the night before the Big Tens. We have practice, we went on eight as a team. We all kind of came back to cut weight, get our stuff packed up, and we we're leaving the next day for the Big Ten tournament. And all of a sudden, um, Matt Eglin, was the guy's name, disappeared. Nobody knew where he went. So it was just kind of, you know, we're all kind of doing our thing and laughing, joking, sweating a little bit, getting down the weight. And and somebody said, hey, where did Eglin go? And we we're all kind of looking around like, I don't, I don't know. And he just, just disappeared. So I think, you know, the pressure got to them. Um, So all of a sudden, we're down to nine guys, right? (laughs) And our heavyweight doesn't qualify. We're down to eight guys. So here we are going, we're having a national championship at home. You know, everybody's excited. Everybody's looking forward to it. And now we're down to eight guys, you know. And you got to remember, my freshman year, uh, we had nine Big Ten champs.
1: Oof. Um, Wow.
0: We we won nine out of ten weights that year. Oh,
1: my God. That's crazy
0: crazy yeah nine so out um,
1: ten.
0: yeah we had nine nine champs that year but you know so so having only eight guys going to the national tournament was kind of like oh man you know this this isn't good but I, I you know it just we got on a roll um i think kind of everybody stepped up to the challenge a little bit and, um you know we, we put uh i think we had six guys in the final we had penrith won. randall lost to Jim Jordan. You know I won, um Goldman won, Marty Kissler won, and well, I take that back. We have five in the finals and um I
1: thought well, you she guys said five, five champs, so, yeah. had five five champs though. Yeah.
0: Five champs six yeah. in the final dress Kevin Dresser won.
1: Wow. And
0: then, uh, you know, Rico placed fourth and I think Royce was fifth that
1: year. Yeah. So Yeah.
0: You know, and, and uh yeah, that was that was a good team. I mean obviously that was a really that's a
1: loaded team and this is when eggland disappeared this is after barry davis had his thing right yeah 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 where he disappeared as well
0: the other thing too, remember eggland was a defending national runner-up i mean he was a guy we we were we thought we were going to get a lot of points
1: i did not realize that
0: yeah yeah he was a national runner-up um and and good wrestler i mean really good wrestler so um yeah it was it was uh
1: it was a strange feel, you know. Now was Eglin, I'm thinking of the duel in '87 with Iowa State. The yeah. s- the s- the second duel of the year, yeah. um, and maybe it was the '86 season. What was the one where Tim Johnson was the coach, and it was like the first time he beat Gable in a duel? Jim Gibbons. Jim 80, Gibbons. Yeah. Sorry, not Tim Johnson yet. Jim Gibbons. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Thanks for reminding me. I lost in that duel meet
1: too. You did? <laughs> well, the reason I bring it up is that duel was a pretty epic one. And, um,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Jim Gibbons, Jim Gibbons, actually worked on a, a, a documentary about that duel. So I've um, seen the
1: previews of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So Eglin, yeah. Eglin ended up losing. He got pinned in that duel by a guy named Perry Summit. Um,
1: that's right.
0: Yeah. That kind of got the Iowa state crowd going and, um, yeah, that was a that was an unbelievable dual meeting. And the stats about the number of All Americans and National Champions in that duel was crazy too. But um,
1: was that eighty seven yeah, or
0: eighty six though? It was eighty six.
1: Okay, so they so Iowa State's kind of coming on a little bit, but you guys still win the nationals. And then the next year was that mm-hmm. the Brooke Simpson pin at Carver?
0: Uh, nope, nope. The next Different. year was my senior year, and Iowa State actually won the national tournament that year in uh, College Park, Maryland.
1: The though i'll never forget it
0: yeah billy kelly and uh penrith
1: penrith yeah that's uh because that would have been 10 in a row with the uh yeah. with the x on the single to this day my most prized yeah. possession for my studio would be one of those iowa singles with the x on it i don't know if they're still out there where they are but that would be a historical item no question oh yeah
0: you don't have one of those huh i don't know i don't know how do many you have one i do actually.
1: oh my lord I that do. is um, is it hung up in a frame tell me it's in a frame it is okay yeah, my, okay i can my, live with that uh, yeah
0: <laughs> my uh believe it or not it used to be like in this bag in our closet and my kids used to wear it running around the house playing playing like <laughs> sean my son my son would put knee pads on a singlet on headgear on and you know wrestle with himself for hours with that thing on and finally my my uh my wife, one year I think it was for my birthday or Christmas, she uh, had it framed and and hung it up.
1: That's yeah. a it's such an epic Nationals because you know I was uh, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but more so for the listeners, I was going for their tenth in a row, and Iowa State mm-hmm. beats them. I and mean, but that sets off like a four or five year down period for Gable, and then yeah. Arizona State wins one, and then Okie State goes on a little bit of a run, and then you know the Brands come and, and the Steiners and all that. But it's just a it's a crazy time because you were part of it right from the get go, right? you know, you got their eighty three eighty four that era they're swinging I mean, they're killing people, yeah. and then slowly, yeah. do you think it was just the work hard play hard got too crazy and like the partying got too much um, or
0: you know um i I don't know i I, I think um i I almost think and, and I might be crazy, but I almost think you know, kind of moving up to that time, we thought we were so good. We could recruit anybody, you know, as long as we did the same things in practice, you know, guys were going to be good. They were going to develop. And there was a few guys that, that just, you know, whether they didn't pan out or, or just kind of um, just didn't get it. You know, it's like, this is important. You know I mean? And, and mm-hmm. it was one of those things, you know, to me. And, and I was, you know, I, I think the, the – they, were, they won number five my senior year. Uh, no, number four my senior year in high school. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but it was like those guys, you think about, you know, the Bannocks and Jimmy Zaleski and Barry Davis and Tim Riley and Jeff Kerber and Pete Bush. And, you know, the list goes on. Mike Deanna and Bruce
1: Kinseth and Chuck Yeager.
0: You know, there's just studs. I mean, superstars in this sport, you know, and kind of,
1: to it this our, day superstars <laughs>
0: to this day they're superstars and giant names you know and for me it was like you know they they left us in our hands we better not screw it up type of thing so my freshman year you know and part of the reason my freshman year um i was as successful as i was is is because i was really um i was protected I i had all these guys around me they didn't need me to win every time it, it would have been great but, you know i was an 18 year old kid getting thrown into the fire right away, you know, on the, on the national scene with Iowa. And, and, you know, there's a fair amount of pressure that goes along with being part of that program in that era.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: you know, so, but, but I was protected. You know, we had Tim Riley, Barry Davis, Jeff Kerber, Harlan Kitzler, Jim Zaleski, Rico Ciparelli, Dwayne Goldman, Eddie Lubanik. um, you know, it's a pretty good team, Freaking you, you crazy. know, so, um so I was protected, you know, and 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 if if I happened to lose, um, you know, I would hear about it, but those I knew those other guys were capable of winning.
1: Mm-hmm. you know, and
0: i I don't know if we lost some of that or you know everybody just thought, well, it doesn't we're we're the best team, and we're gonna win, no matter what. So I don't know exactly what it was. you know, i I always take a little bit of, uh, I was a captain of the team that year, and I take that personally, you know, a little bit still that that, you know, maybe it was part partly my fault for for not maybe holding guys feet to the fire a little more or or making them understand that look um you know this is important that this is our duty you know our responsibility to, mm-hmm. to keep this thing going in the right way and and we can't be the ones to kind of let it slip and i think we probably made some poor decisions recruiting maybe a little bit and and i can't say that for certain because you know i always trusted what the coaches were doing but you know some guys during that era just didn't make it
1: well there was a one Uh, class it might have been like the class of what would have been seniors in 88 or seniors in 89 mm -hmm. i can't remember which one and this is just from the documentaries i've i've read and watched that like no one from that class was even an all-american though and like that is pretty pretty drastic fall off from what you would have seen the years prior you know
0: yeah yeah i mean so it, it's hard to know, you know, it's hard to know. And, and, um, you know, I know we lost my senior year and, and, you know, that was, that, that was a painful thing you know, for sure. It was yeah. a painful thing, you know, and and I think there was probably, you know, we had some things happen. Greg Randall got hurt. Um, you know, some guys maybe underperformed a little bit throughout the year, but, um,
1: you know, well, Also if LSU, LSU doesn't drop the program, they don't get uh, Kevin Jackson. I mean, a lot of things, uh, a lot of things happen, you know,
0: yeah, yeah, and things do happen, you know. But but it seemed like for, for the other three years I was there on the team, we were even though we lost sometimes during the year, it always felt to me like we would get to the national tournament, we would be bulletproof, you know. And I kind of I try to explain it to, to guys. It's it's um, you know, and it was a little bit different back then. But we would walk in a gym, and and people would be like, uh, you know, it was it was uh, there was an aura about us. And I think it was a lot because of Gable. Mm-hmm. I mean, everywhere we go, Gable was like, uh, uh, he was in the spotlight so much, you know, it was just crazy. Um, you know, airports, hotels, I, I mean, it was everywhere. The guy was just in the spotlight. I think our program had a little bit of that, too, where we were, um, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, um, kind of a little bit of a different level um, for a lot of years. It felt like.
1: Well, people say that early, he. Early days. During when like the, during that, that time where it's like rock star status, that like, Gable would sometimes do work in his truck because like the office at Carver was too busy or like he wouldn't uh, get to the airport until later. Because like, if you're at the gate, people are just coming yeah. up to him like crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that happened everywhere. And, and it's funny you say that. Um We had a guy, Rico Ciparelli, who was really good, really good. Uh, had a very unique style Um could pin anybody anytime, just crazy style, but he he liked professional wrestling stuff. He liked it. And he would you know talk about it. And, and so one year, I think we were coming back from the national tournament, I had been my sophomore year, um, came back from the national tournament, landed at the Cedar Rapids airport. And there was a guy who I think it was Randy Savage and Rico was like wigging out because Randy Savage was in Cedar Rapids airport to go do a show. Mm-hmm. And he went over and introduced himself and, and he saw, you know, guys were wearing Iowa wrestling stuff and all Randy Savage wanted to do was meet Dan Gable. It was like a lifetime thrill for the guy. So Rico brings him over and introduces himself to to Gable and, you know, Gable's pretty mild manner. He just kind of, how you doing? Shook his head. And, you know, the guy, the guy was like, he was like a little kid, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he walks away and Gable was like talking to Rico, like, who is that guy? Like, what, what is he doing here? Who is he? You know? it was really kind of funny. wow but that happened everywhere we went somebody would want his time or or at least want to shake his hand or introduce themselves or get a picture you know they didn't do that as much back then but yeah um, you know they, they wanted an autograph or whatever the case was you know um but yeah he was he, he was and is a legend
1: no doubt i mean and just imagining that you know, especially back then, you know, as you, as you get further and further away from 1972, you know, every year, maybe it's a little bit less, but that 72 Olympic team was so legendary. Even to this day, it's like, that's the beginning of the modern era. And that whole team, the Wayne Wells, you know, the, the Peterson's like, those are, those are like icon people, Mount Rushmore type people. So he was your coach, which is, uh, which is even crazier. The one thing I, I wanted to, uh, to wind down with is, as we, we look at the, the current, situation in college wrestling we kind of have a uh a second coming of that with kale and the way those guys just went is pretty amazing and um it, it feels like that a little bit you know when you look at the state of college wrestling now versus where it was in the 80s what do you think the big difference is is, this, is it the parity across all programs like how has it changed and evolved
0: i think there is more parity. I, I i think um you know, wrestling's better at a younger age, you know, when you always talk about specialization and, and what you were talking about guys doing cross training. And, you know, maybe when I was, I was in high school getting ready for college, um, you could wrestle, but you practice year round. You didn't compete year round. You're always weren't at your highest level. You could go in and work out and practice and get better and work on your skills and develops and stuff. Cause you weren't worried about competing at a, a regional or a, national level event all summer you know there's a hundred of those now and and Mm -hmm. you know you had the junior national you know the connect that's it that's what you had in the summer so you know when you got back you'd play football and before you went you were playing baseball and you know took a month and trained and went to the national tournament and then the fall you came back and you played football and then it was wrestling season and you rested
1: you know Mm -hmm. that's the
0: way it was a little bit different you know as I kind of after my freshman year, you know, I was one of those guys that spe- that, that uh, specialized in wrestling. After that year, before then, I did other sports and enjoyed them, and I thought that was really important for my development. Um, but now I, I think um, kids are really good. Young, I think they're getting better coaching. I think they're they're they have such access to everything they want in wrestling. They can watch technique anytime they want. They can watch high level wrestling anytime they want. They can have instruction, you know, anytime they want, every right at the fingertips, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's really made wrestling good. Um, and I, I, think, I think it's as good as it's ever been in this country. Um, you know, college, I think it's as good as it's ever been and deeper than it's ever been. So um, you said before, you know, some of the higher seeds at the national tournament are really good guys. I mean, really good guys that can make noise and, and beat high seeds, you know?
2: So, yeah.
0: Um, it is good. I think there is more parity, and I think there's less, less programs. And I think the recruiting's a lot different than it used to be by a long stretch. How much, how, so? how much different recruiting. Like uh, more
1: work or what? We'd be
0: here for two days. It'd work. <laughs> yes. But just kind of the content and, and what people are telling kids and what they're believing in. It. It's just like you roll your eyes at some of this stuff and, and, uh, but Yeah, it's.
1: Um, I bet you've heard had some kids tell you some crazy stuff, like that other, uh, other, other coaches have said during the years, and just crazy things like that. You can't imagine. <laughs> uh, so, so, um,
0: yeah, I mean, it's it's just different, you know, and and it's, um, you know, the NIL stuff and the transfer port. It, it, it's a different world, you know, and and mm-hmm. um,
1: RTCS are different.
0: RTCs changed everything you know probably 10 years ago that was kind of the momentum thing then it was
1: you know the Nil start things
0: started coming and then the transfer portal started coming and it was it's just man I, I I don't know if this stuff is healthy I, I I don't and I don't know that I'm ready to give a, an opinion but I have real real questions on it I have real questions on it and and as you know as kind of time was coming for me to make a decision, you know, that was one of the things I really spent some time on is that this day and age recruiting is so much different Kids they're making decisions for not the right reasons, frankly. I mean, not the right reasons. Um, you know, am I willing to be- beat my head against the wall, you know, to continue to do that or, you know, the generation kind of thing getting to me? But, but a lot of it, um, you know, has to do with kind of the, the current uh, – Current state of things in, in college athletics, just not wrestling, but athletics.
1: Why do you think guys are wrestling so fewer matches now? And is it a good thing? Uh,
0: you know, it, it's it's. I I don't I don't want to make this an us and them thing. You know what we used to do compared to what they do now, but we had twenty one dates, so now they're sixteen. And you okay. don't have to use all sixteen. You don't have to go to tournaments. You can just wrestle all duels. However, you want to use them, you can use them. We used to have twenty one dates. So we wrestled, you know, a bunch of hill. You know, there was times I'd wrestle forty matches in college. You know, one year I was forty and five, I think. And it was you wrestled a lot more. So I think it's good now. I, I think I think it's okay. I do.
1: Because um, the reason I, I ask is a lot of people say like, you know, in the the nineties and the two thousands guys were just yeah, they wrestled forty matches, but they're beat up. They're just broken at the end of it, and maybe it was a little overkill, and maybe not. You know, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm getting at with the question. Like, do you think it's better yeah. to taper it back a little bit, or like, what are well, your thoughts?
0: If you, if you think about it, though, guys are still beat up now. Yeah. You no, know? and I don't. I don't think it's because of the four years in college. I think it's the ten years before you get to college, right? You, you start training year round when you're eight, nine, ten years old. By the time you get to be twenty. Your your body's going to feel it, and I don't mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. There's there's exceptions. I mean, guys like David Taylor and Jordan Burroughs are, un, Dave, uh, Kyle Dake. What they're doing at you know late twenties, early thirties is mind boggling to me that they continue to find the motivation to do it at such. I mean, at the highest level, their bodies feel good. I right? shouldn't say that. They continue to train. I don't know how the feel, <laughs> but they continue to train, you know, and, and um it, it's incredible to me that they could do that and they've all been wrestling forever, you know. So the the fact that they could do it tells me anybody can do it, at least when you're up to twenty three. Mm-hmm. Right. So after that I those guys it blows my mind how those guys can do that still. But I think anybody can have a pretty good workload till at least that age. And I think you know, you, you said it yourself, there's a lot of injuries, a lot of illnesses or injuries, a lot of um, breaking down of your body. Um, so, you know, there's more competition. Help that or hurt it, I don't know. To me, it's more time in the practice room is where you're getting beat up, right? Mm. The, the matches, it's seven minutes. Obviously, the you know, the intensity's is higher, um, you know, but you're spending seven minutes or, you know, 10 minutes, in a match but you're spending hours and hours and hours in a wrestling room you know i think that's where it is and and i think the smartest guys and maybe those guys have their their training figured out so well such detail that that they can you know a lot of it can be on field. they feel their bodies breaking down they need a break they need to push themselves through a couple things depending on their training cycle so i think those guys are really smart mm-hmm. but to me you know, when people talk about making wrestling a shorter season, making it a once, once semester. a semester. Sport, think to me, you know, there's still going to be USA Wrestling events. There's still going to be the Junior World Championships, the U23 Championships, the University Nationals. There's still going to be RTCs and clubs where you're going to work out year-round. So is it really going to be shorter? I, I don't know that. You know, I don't know.
1: I think it's the benefit of, of the shorter season is that we would have – more certainty that the best guys are going to wrestle every time. I think is when I hear about the shorter schedule, it's like, yeah, maybe not any difference in the wear and tear, but at least now we can bet pretty darn sure that we're going to see the best guys during those two months versus you might not get the best guys every time on a six month season. And guys are like, how many times this year did Iowa, Iowa's lineup at the Big Ten, how many times did they wrestle together this year? Maybe like once or twice, like that exact same group. And that is disappointing. And it's frustrating for the fans. And so I think that thought process is if we have fewer dates, all the best guys will wrestle and we can just know that we're going to see the stars in the lineup.
0: Yeah. I don't even know if you can say that. I mean, it's, um, you know, I don't know what was going on in the room. I don't know the health of those, the health history of those guys and what was really the issues, but I still think, you know, if, if uh, you know, team A is really good in the ranked Number one in the country, number two in the country, whatever it is, and the rest mm-hmm. of maybe a team they know they're going to beat, they're still going to sit, guys. Yeah, and, you know they might give them a couple days off of practice, and say, you know what, you don't have to make weight this week, you don't have to do those extra workouts. We're going to rest you. I still think that's going to happen no matter what. If you choose to do that, and I don't know, you know, and I can't say who does that specifically. There are a lot of guys who miss a lot of matches, and I don't, I can't pretend to know the reasons. Um. I, I can't pretend to know the reasons. And I know um, you know, I always got an earful from, from people saying, Well, you, he needs a break, he need well, this is the best team we have. These this if they're ready to go, we, we owe it to the other nine guys that they go. When mm-hmm. we're trying this is a program, that's not a individual. Dual meets aren't an individual. This is a program, it's a team. You know, we need to wrestle those guys and, and you know it's it's you can only protect them so long at some point. You got to put your foot on the line, and you got to go. You know, whether it's yeah. February, or if if you know if you're wrestling the number one team in the country or number two team in the country, it's you. Can you count on them? Can they make it? Can they get themselves through? And and obviously not at the kid's peril. I mean, that makes that's you know, different. Yeah, you, you've got to use a little judgment. But right, if a kid is ready to go and he's healthy, to me, if if i would sit a guy i i wouldn't feel right and i would wonder what's that that guy doesn't think i think he's good i mean you know what i mean that would just kind of be
1: going over my mind right
0: right it would drive us both crazy and that's not good for either of us
1: it's just another example of how things have changed so much since the uh the 80s when you got introduced to college wrestling and you coached it for 29 years uh you know, decade, 12 years plus as the head coach. I mean, you've seen every angle of it in multiple conferences. It's just, uh, yeah, I was dying to get your thoughts on just some of the general trends like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the one thing for certain, it's going to keep changing. I do know that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's such a mixed bag of feelings because the, I feel like the viewership and the attendance is better than ever. The competitions mm-hmm. is better, you know, as good as ever. Um, and outside of college, you know the freestyle success we're having—it just makes it all so fun right now, which gets me even more excited for next week. So, uh, yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't wait. Um, yeah, much-
0: and our our senior team, the, it's so much fun to watch right now. Man, those guys are good. They're so good. It's crazy. You know, when it was like again, you talk about the old days and everything. You know, that's kind of the way it was. You know, they're and we're deep now. We're deep again. I mean, so many good guys. Um. But, yeah, they're fun to watch, man. Those guys can wrestle. It's really enjoyable.
1: And I thought a lot of them maybe would be retiring after Paris. But then uh, I had Rich Bender on the podcast, and he mentioned that he's making a push for all of them to stay until L.A. in 28. So I'm like, wow, that would be – because I could see this whole team rolling over after 24, except for a few guys, right? I mean, if David Taylor wins another one, is he done? If Dake wins, is he done? Jb, I don't know how he could keep going. He's such a warrior. Yanni will keep going. Gilman, I don't know if he can keep making that weight. Um, heavyweight, you know, that's that's a little bit in flux. Snyder will keep going, but I mean, there's a lot of hammers that are not going to keep going past 24.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, I know one thing. I'm not going to question any of those guys because they're <laughs> Ooh,
1: they are so
0: good. They're, they're good, man. I, and again, it's it's uh, you know, it's a lot of pride and um. It reminds me a lot of the teams, you know, way back when, when we were deep and we were good and whoever we sent had a really good chance of getting a medal, you know. Yeah. Um, just with the depth. But but yeah, these guys, it's been really enjoyable to watch these guys.
1: You think back to like that eighty-eight Olympic team, the ninety-two Olympic team. You had yeah. Chris Campbell coming out of retirement. You have yeah. Kenny Monday, Lat Jopin, Arson Zioff. It's like yeah. these are that's those are I mean, that that era than that. That 96 team was a great team, and then we kind of went through, you know, a down decade, 15 years, and the J.B. brought it all back for us, and, yeah. and here we are.
0: Yeah, I watched Monday. Um, that was in uh, Switzerland. I watched Monday beat Fezayev.
1: Really? So
0: your Fezayev moved up. I was there. I was at the, I was at the World Championships that year. Um, wow. Yeah, because Fezayev is the one guy I used to watch, watch him all the time, all the time. Um, and i wrestled Monday three times, uh, so I knew how good Monday was, you know. So mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I was shocked. I mean, shocked when Monday beat,
1: beat him easy, easy, yeah, yeah. easy. Because Fitzioff's yeah. one of so those, good. one of those like, like Ivan Regan Sergey Belaglosov resumes, yeah, you was. know, like freaking yeah. top three yeah. ever, maybe. Yeah, yeah, Monday's insane. I know I often so, wonder if so Pets if Pat Smith would have broken through in ninety six if he would have stayed on for like another quad, but but Kenny had to big brother him, you know, at the at the uh, trials.
0: Yeah, he's so good. Um yeah, I don't think people talk about
1: Kenny Monday enough, honestly. Um, yeah. I mean, just so good. Unbelievable. Tbilisi winner had to beat a great Dave Schultz to even get through. It's like unbelievable. Well,
0: you know, I was there the first time he beat Schultz too in eighty the eighty seven World Team Trials. He he beat Schultz for the first time, and uh, two out of three. Schultz won two, Monday won one, but he did beat him that first time, and he got him the next year in eighty eight.
1: Yeah, and then he that was team. he was off after that, off to the races.
0: Yeah, yeah it was.
1: Well, Coach, it's been an honor to have you on. I can't believe we've gone an hour and a half. Uh, It's been so fun, and uh, I just want to thank you for coming on. I can't wait to, to see you next week at Tulsa.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Glad to do it.
1: Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode with Jim Heffernan. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support our sponsors, Beat the Street Chicago, Quant Wrestling. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review, and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!